supply chains to the rescue, a huge merger gets the go-ahead, and technologies that combine seeing and hearing. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Yale Materials Handling. This isn't yesterday's warehouse. Rethink what you expect from your forklifts with Yale. The experts at Yale provide smart, connected lift trucks and solutions to help you tackle your toughest labor, safety, and productivity challenges. Visit Yale at Promat Booth S1003 or online at Yale.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, last month a powerful 7.8 magnitude earthquake devastated southeastern Turkey and northwestern Syria. That shaking was followed by a 7.7 magnitude aftershock and thousands of smaller aftershocks. Sadly, more than 50,000 people lost their lives. Immediately, the world rushed in with rescue teams and medical and food supplies. One of those groups working to coordinate the logistics behind those relief supplies is Airlink. Joining me now to talk about those efforts is Steve Smith, the president and CEO of Airlink. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining us in Logistics Matters. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's great to uh, be here. Thanks for including us. For those who are not familiar with Airlink, could you describe a little bit about your work? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Airlink is a uh, nonprofit, 501c3, and uh, we're a disaster response nonprofit, and we provide free airlift coordination and logistical solutions to a network of over 150 global nonprofits. And so, really, the concept is identifying and removing the cost of transportation to make sure that's not a bar to uh, NGOs responding to disasters. And we really act as a platform for air carriers, forwarders, and logistics providers to really come together to support humanitarian relief around the world. You know, last uh, year, we actually, um, the programs we supported through our nonprofit partners helped 12.3 million people. Um, and that uh, was uh, made up of 38 disasters we responded to, supporting 92 NGOs across 54 countries. And, uh, you know, that's about 1,300 tons of aid and about 1,300 uh, expert and volunteer responders. And so, um, you know, we're really pleased to be uh, talking to you today. And thanks for helping us share the message a little bit. It's our pleasure. Thanks for the good work that you do. Now, you not only move cargo through uh, your networks, but also the people who need to be there to help assist with the rescue workers and those folks that are boots on the ground. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. You know, we moved, uh, as I said, 1,300 uh, expert responders last year. And it's really amazing, you know, that the 1,300 uh, maybe uh, doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, one of the groups we moved in uh, specifically, this was a little while ago uh, when we were responding uh, to the Ukraine conflict, um, you know, a group of half a dozen individuals went into a warehouse, set up a inventory management system, and uh, then uh, developed a major artery into southern Ukraine for supplies to go in. And so that's just six people. Um, and we sent, you know, 1,300 of those uh, last year. Um, that do all, all do specific and specialized uh, activities. So it's pretty pretty exciting to be able to do that. You mentioned a number of events that you were responding to during the past year. How do you decide when to respond to a particular crisis? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, when we respond to disasters, it's re we're really a demand-led organization. You know, we're very much uh, a proponent of um, uh, pull uh, mechanism to make sure that the disaster uh, management agencies are uh, defining what are needed, looking at the needs list. Uh, but we also service a network of, as I said, 150 nonprofit partners. So they're telling us, uh, based on their grand assessments, based on our assessments, saying, okay, this is what's needed. This is when we need to go. Um, and we, I always like to say, or we always like to say, is that ask us for what you need and not what you think you can get. Um, and we support a number of you know, areas around the world or sort of uh, thematic areas, not just rapid response for disasters. Um, we do health system strengthening, which is you know, as COVID hit everywhere around the world, all the systems went down. And so we continue to build those back up. We support displaced and migrant communities and also food and clean water security. And so, um, you know, that's we're really a demand led organization, I guess, is the short answer to that. You work with airlines, air carriers, freight forwarders. How do you get all these folks to support you? And have you noticed any lack of response or a downturn because of the economic situation the world is in right now? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I guess I would answer, you know, when we were looking at um, early on in COVID and you saw the market go down then and uh, all the capacity coming out of the market, um, you would have thought that, that would have been uh, a really bad, uh, well, it was, it was very bad, but um, a significant issue for Airlink. What we saw is, uh, is an uptick in support of organizations and the aviation sector, logistics sector, stepping up to support which they do every time there's a disaster they do consistently um, at all times um, and so actually you know we saw an increase in support that we received from those uh, from the from the sector you know given the current situation you know um, you know I guess we're going to have to see uh, we understand that you know uh, yields are down and, and it's going to be more challenging for uh, cargo providers with uh, lots of uh, inventory stacked up in various different places um, but we still see tremendous support the airlines, and the, and the logistic providers continue to step up um, every year. Um, and, um, and so I'm optimistic about uh, the support we can get. Where does your funding come from? Are these offered as free services or reduced cost or how does that work? Yeah, good question. So the, the funding comes from a mix of uh, sources. So yes, I would say, you know, 50% of our, of our support uh, comes from um, donated free of, free of charge uh, flights, logistics services. Um, funding comes from, uh, we've recently set up uh, a number of things, one of them being an air bridge from Haiti to, uh, from uh, Miami to Haiti uh, with BHA, the Bureau of Europe Humanitarian Assistance under USAID. Um, other foundations, Hilton Foundation. Um, Airlink, it was originally founded from the aviation finance sector an organization called ISTAT, the International Society of Transport Aircraft Trading. And so a lot of our funding comes from airplane aircraft leasing uh, companies um, and, uh, and the aviation sector itself. Um, but again, you know, a lot of the uh, donated capacity um, obviously has to come from the airlines and we have some really great partners out there. We have uh, working with Qatar Airways, American Airlines, Turkish Airlines, Cathay Pacific and our, and our global lead uh, signature lead partner, United Airlines, and plus many, many others, um, but those are some of the, the top ones. We work with probably about 50 airlines in, in total. That's great. We mentioned at the beginning of the interview about the crisis in Turkey and Syria. What are you doing to help those people and, and the response that uh, is being done by the world? Yeah, so um, thank you. Uh, within the last, within sort of 48 hours of the, um, actually in less than that, we already had people um, 
you know, in the air for the uh, for our NGO search and rescue teams. And uh, I want to say that we sent, you know, uh, search and rescue teams for over a dozen different organizations. We even have a video actually of of of, of a couple of specifically specific folks that we sent there uh, that that filmed the rescue of individual friend uh, three individuals I think under under the rubble um, that we had sent in. So that you know you don't usually get such a direct correlation to some of the things you do, but that was really fantastic. Um, we've uh, we have multiple. Um, uh, air bridges going in and have been supporting flights um, in from places uh, such as Pakistan for the International Federation of the Red Crescent. Um, and uh, through working with Turkish Airlines, one of our biggest partners uh, uh, for this response, they've really been um, supporting uh, relief efforts from all over the world on their network. And, um, and so we continue to, uh, uh, to respond and uh, we have uh, over a thousand tons still to go. We've had think about seven flights go in from Pakistan and a number of others from other places around the world um, with with tents and various different supplies and um, and so we continue to support um, I think we're at now maybe two to three hundred um, three hundred uh, individual responders that we've sent in as well across uh, across 40 different uh, nonprofits and one of the other things I would say that we that we do that I hadn't mentioned before is that we focus a lot on the coordination and so We've had coordination calls for NGOs responding that have had over 100 attendees on these things. So, you know, let's call that perhaps 60 different organizations um, to make sure everybody understands um, uh, regulatory environment, understands how to get cargo um, through, and that's you know not just Turkey but also um, into uh, into Syria, which is even more complex. What often happens in the world is a crisis occurs and then there's another crisis to replace it. But in the, in the situation here, you still have thousands of people that are homeless. So the needs continue. What, what are those needs and, and how can people help if they're interested? Yeah, sure. I mean, so, so you know, this is, this is going to go on for a long time. And, uh, you know, the needs are, uh, you know, basic supplies. You know, you've got, um, you know, first it was shelter, um, tents. Now it's moved to... Um, you know, basic supplies for for people that are still in um, tented camps, and um, and so the the way that you know individuals uh, can help is by donating. You know, we always say cash is 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 king. Cash is much better than trying to donate you stuff. Please don't do that. Um, and to support organisations and entities that are already responding um, and that have established and set up um, responses. Airlink's one of them. Airlinkflight.org. Please go on our website. Check that out. Um, but if you're all, but if you're a, um, a transportation or logistics company, you know, come talk to us and let's talk about how we can work together, not just on airlift, but also on other elements, uh, whether it's forwarding, whether it's trucking, um, you know, Airlink really, uh, yes, our name's Airlink, but we work on all the other uh, modalities as well uh, in order to complement and, and make common sense decisions about aid that needs to be moved in and, and where it needs to go. Right. And, and you're not just working, obviously, in Turkey and Syria, but you'd mentioned the, the war in Ukraine in that area as well and, and other places around the world. Yes, that's right. That's right. We have uh, programs, um, you know, focused and in, in going into uh, the Horn of Africa. Uh, we have, uh, you know, flights and responses going into uh, Afghanistan um, and, um, you know, various different places in Asia. Vanuatu uh, recently as well that, uh, had, a, had a weather event recently. Um, and um, so, yeah, I mean, responses all around the world. And um, Ukraine, of course, is our biggest response, uh, as you can imagine, from many organizations. 
uh, biggest response ever in our uh, 12, 12 year history. We were founded uh, 2010, around the time of the Haiti earthquake. Um, so fast forward, this has been our uh, biggest response. And uh, you know, we're there for the long haul, even though our, our name is Airlink, you know, oftentimes some of these responses and these programs can go up to a couple of years or more. Well, thanks for all the good work that you do. Again, if someone is interested in finding out more information about your organization or to donate uh, air cargo services or other types of transportation services, uh, the website is airlinkflight.org. Thank you, Steve. We really appreciate it. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Dave. And we have been talking with Steve Smith, the president and CEO of Airlink. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week about the federal approval of the merger of Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern Railroad systems. What does this combined rail network mean for shippers? Yeah, great question, Dave. Um, what happened specifically this week is that regulators with the U.S. Surface Transportation Board, the STB, approved uh, what this merger is. It's a $31 billion with a B merger for Canadian Pacific, as you said, to acquire Kansas City Southern. Uh, this was a long time coming. Uh, it had been in the works for years. It was initially disputed by Canadian National, which had made a competing bid, uh, likewise, to buy Kansas City Southern. And the STB finally approved it, but they did put a list of conditions on the deal. And that, uh, from the STB's point of view, is to prevent things like a monopoly position uh, and, to your point, to protect shippers as well as rail workers, the environment, passenger rail interests. Uh, there are a lot of touch points here. Now, all this will play out slowly uh, because the deal becomes final on April 14th, about a month from now, uh, unless it's appealed. And Canadian Pacific said that starting then, it'll take about three years to fully merge the two companies. Also, one of the STB's conditions is actually that it will have a seven-year oversight period. So that's to ensure that as this uh, merger plays out and as the different assets come together, um, the Surface Transportation Board will be able to really keep a close eye. You know, one thing other complaints, uh, other competitors, excuse me, had complained um, about the danger of a monopoly. But uh, the STB said that these the two combined railroads, um, again, Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern, um, they'll actually continue even combined to be the smallest class one railroad. Uh, their network will be a few thousand miles shorter than the next smallest one and much less, half the size of the Western railroads. Uh, so the SDB said that shippers are generally in favor of the whole thing uh, since they are predicted to see reduced travel time for traffic that's moving across this single line service. Uh, largely that's because it'll eliminate the need for the now separate railroads to interchange traffic that's moving from one system to the other. It'll just be able to flow smoothly. Despite that general approval, the Surface Transportation Board uh, will also have some steps in there, those conditions I mentioned, to protect shippers from big rate hikes anyway. And they'll do that by setting conditions, uh, to particularly looking at existing rail service options at gateways, which are the interchange points between the combined rail and other railroads, and by allowing shippers to require the combined two railroads, they're going to have to justify any rate increases they make that are greater than the rate of inflation. That all sounds very promising for shippers, but did the Surface Transportation Board say anything about safety? 
Of course, the one thing that comes to mind right now is the recent Norfolk Southern derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, yes, and the STB decision actually mentioned that Norfolk Southern derailment in East Palestine by name. Um, and by the way, that Norfolk Southern crash has been in the news again this week uh, because the state of Ohio just sued Norfolk Southern to make sure that they do complete that cleanup, uh, both over the near term and the long run. Uh, but the STB said that the new merger uh, between uh, Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern would improve industry safety overall. That's notwithstanding the derailment, because they said that rail is by far the safest means of transporting freight, uh, including hazardous materials. So when they say that rail is safest, uh, what they're contrasting it with uh, is trucking. So here the STB found that the combined Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern would likely be able to attract about 64,000 truckloads per year away from the roads uh, where they're hauled by trucks and more to the rail where they'll be hauled by trains. Uh, so the STB said that would help you know, reduce road congestion, uh, that obviously less emissions uh, and improve transportation safety as well. Uh, another part of safety that they mentioned is the enormous length of freight trains. Uh, if, if you live near where one of these lines uh, runs, then, then you know uh, they, they can run multiple miles long, uh, these freight trains. Uh, it's what part of makes them so efficient because uh, they can have an enormous load running. Uh, but, you know, those super long trains are obviously hard to stop. Uh, also, they block road crossings for a long time. So another of those conditions that I mentioned that the STB set for the combination is that these new uh, combined companies, they have to avoid blocking any public crossing for longer than 10 minutes. Uh, and, you know, toward that, the STB cited the two companies, the merger companies here, uh, estimate that actually their average train length after the merger is going to shrink. Um, currently, the average length for the two is about 1.8 miles. But um, after the merger, they're predicting it'll be about 1.4 miles long. Still long, but the SDB saw an improvement there. Right. Well, railroads have been with us for over 150 years, but they still really remain one of the most efficient ways to move our nation's freight. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, glad to do it. And Victoria, you wrote a story for this month's DC Velocity that highlights how the use of different technologies work together with very productive results. Can you share the details? Yes, absolutely, Dave. So yeah, this is uh, the result of some reporting I did for DC Velocity's March issue, which is out this month. Um, warehouse automation projects that blend voice and vision-based picking with robotics are on the rise. Um, and that's for many reasons, but a big one is because systems integrators and technology developers are looking for ways to help customers maximize their labor resources while also speeding productivity on the warehouse floor. The experts I spoke to say tying these kinds of technologies together can deliver sort of the ultimate inefficiency. So you have robots handling the heavy lifting tasks such as conveyance through the building and pickers uh, getting faster and more accurate by using voice and vision based wearables to direct their movements. Uh, things like smart glasses, ring scanners, wrist mounted computers, wireless headsets. Um, I spoke to some systems integrators as well as technology and equipment developers to learn more about some specific projects that companies have undertaken recently, and that was really to give our readers an idea of, of what's possible. Well, what did you find out in your research? 
Yeah, well, well, quite a bit. And it's always great to to listen to stories about um, these kinds of technologies being put to work. One project um, that I learned about pairs the use of smart glasses from a company called Picavi with an automated storage and retrieval system, or ASRS, from AutoStore. Our listeners will, many of them will be like, likely be familiar with those technologies. Um, in this case, goods are stored in the AutoStore system. Um, with work with workers at the system's pick stations using the smart glasses uh, for a couple of things, uh, multi-order picking out of containers, as well as for um, more complex multi-order put applications. Both of the systems uh, connect directly to the facility's warehouse, warehouse management system, or WMS, and the combined benefits there include less stress and strain on the workers, thanks to the ASRS, you know, they're not walking and moving things around, and optimize piece picking uh, from the smart glasses solution. Another project um, that I learned about blends the use of autonomous mobile robots, or AMRs, with voice-directed picking. In a nutshell, uh, the AMRs are dispatched to a location in the warehouse where they pick up a pallet or a case, and then they bring it to a predetermined pick zone. Uh, from there, pickers who are outfitted with wrist-mounted mobile computers and wireless headsets meet the AMRs at that designated zone uh, after they receive a voice command telling them where to go. The picker performs the necessary picking tasks at that location, um, and it goes on like that throughout the day. When the AMR finishes its route, it picks up a batch of the finished orders from its last stop and then delivers them to the packing area. Uh, this is a project that was developed by systems integrator Numina Group, and it's in use at a couple of different facilities. And leaders there say the goal is really to get people moving simultaneously with the AMRs, you know, as a way to kind of speed everything up. And again, the benefits here, less stress and strain on the workers, the AMRs are doing the heavy lifting, and more efficient picking. So really, these are examples of blending technologies to create a smoother, more efficient operation. Um, and as I said at the outset, this story is in our current issue, so readers can find more details by turning to, turning to it online or in print. Sounds like a good story. We look forward to reading it. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links and the topics that we discussed today. And our thanks to Steve Smith of Airlink for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fastlane, co-produced with the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Yale. From proven robotic lift trucks to industry-leading operator assist technology, unlock the full potential of your warehouse with their next-generation lift truck solutions. Visit Yale at Promat Booth S1003 or online at Yale.com. Speaking of Promat, it is being held next week in Chicago, and our full team will be there. We'll be spending the entire time reporting on the show, and you can check out DC Velocity for details of our reports. But since we will be there, we will not be here next Friday. So instead, join us in two weeks on March 31st for our next episode of Logistics Matters. We will see you then. Thanks for joining us.